In the not too distant future 2016 AD There was a weirdo guy named Jack Not too different from you or me He sat around his armbar store Just acting nerdy and being poor He did it all with a cheerful face So they gave him a show and they shipped him to LA I'll watch all the wrestling The best I can find Then I'll interview my guests And try to pick their minds Now no one knows what era Jack will talk about today But he'll probably talk about the guys That helped to pave the way Legends Roll Call Ric Flair Roddy Piper Randy Savage Dusty Rhodes You might not agree on favorites Or other so-called facts Remind yourself it's all for fun So pipe down and sit back For Captain Jack's Armbar Emporium Hello and welcome back to the Podcast of Power With the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour this is Captain Jack Heartless, and you are listening to Captain Jack's Armbar Emporium. It's been a minute. It's been even longer since we have talked about pro wrestling for any length of time on this show. Um, for obvious reasons, over the last 10 months, uh, that has kind of been by design. Um, I needed a break, to be quite honest. I bet some of you did, too. However, the one product I have been watching with some regularity during the pandemic has remained AEW, All Elite Wrestling. Uh, I will say that they've had, in my opinion, more hits than misses, um, but there has been a lot of chatter brought up by their most recent pay-per-view and the Dynamite following it, and I felt like I had something to say about all that, so... Here I am with an episode after a while. And uh, we'll, we'll talk uh, at the end about the, uh, the infrequency of the episode. Changes are coming. Nothing's concrete yet, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, though, uh, I would like to welcome back a regular contributor and uh, somebody who talks about wrestling a little more often than I do these days. Uh, whether it be on Strong Style Story or Boom Goes the Dynamite, uh, your friend and mine, Chris Damasino. Hey there. So remember around this time last year when we actually watched Revolution together in a amazing burger joint in California and a couple of days prior also got to see War Horse live and before this whole fucking pandemic took over? Yeah, Good that, times. Was a, that was essentially my birthday Good party times. last year. Yeah. So. I hate it here. Yeah, I hate it that 365 days later we're still running through this nonsense, to say the least. But I've had Strong Style Story, really mainly Strong Style Story at this point, as sort of a pash, pad to talk pro wrestling altogether. Jeff and Paul Sebastian have been pretty much taken over on the Boom Goes Dynamite spectrum, and they are fantastic together as a duo, so I still encourage everybody to listen to them. Every time that that's out on Wednesdays, about an hour or so after Dynamite, 
over the past month, they've been doing it over the weekend since Jeff's work schedule has been kind of getting in the way of doing it immediately after the show, but you should still go listen to them regardless of the circumstances. But yeah, this is sort of the anniversary in a way of our revolution podcast from like last year as well and that particular weekend too. So yeah, there is that to consider on top of everything else that's been going on. A lot has changed in a year. Um, that's for goddamn sure. This is essentially right around the one year anniversary as we're recording this of the lockdown and everybody staying inside. It is my sincere wish that you are all being smart staying masked, staying home as much as humanly possible, and uh, you're getting out there, and when available, you are getting the vaccine. Please trust scientists, not politicians. Politicians are not your friend. Let me repeat that for emphasis. Politicians are not your friend. I don't care how much money they give you. They are not your friend. Please remember that. So, <laughs> it's as Having, good of a PSA to open up this show as any. It it truly is. Um, I have devolved into giving less fucks than ever before, and considering how little fucks I gave as your friendly leftist, sometimes drag queen, on <laughs> from the start of this show, I've never hid who I am. That's Listen, considering up. the year that we survived at this point, we can all use a little more saltiness in our lives when calling out bullshit for the way that we see it. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I will add on to my last statement by saying I hope everybody gets their stimulus soon. Uh, please don't let anybody tut tut you into what you should or shouldn't be spending it on. They can go fuck themselves. Or you can feel free to direct them to me. I'm easy to find on Twitter, at Jack Heartless. I love to serve a, a fool their balls on a plate. It's uh, it's a pastime. Probably not the most <laughs> the most healthy one, but it's, it's a pastime. It's not the most healthy, but we get some productivity out of it at this point. It's, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take five minutes and ruin a motherfucker's day. Not the first time, won't be the last. But <laughs> let's get down to business and talk about this pay-per-view. Um, please don't sue me, Disney. Uh, there was a lot going into this. Um, I have maintained for whatever faults that it has had or shortcomings it has had, I have felt AEW has maintained fairly strong narrative sense from week to week in that it has mostly been appointment television you know and i i have to say in the year of our uh, our lord 2020 now 2021 uh there's a very short list of appointment television out there i really can only think of three things in my world that constitute that and that's the mandalorian wandavision and dynamite that's that's some high cotton where I come from. I don't know about you. Jack, it, if I were to tell you that I was halfway considering messaging you like about 30 minutes before we started this and going, can we just talk about Vision Season 1 instead? Uh, that's something for the future there at the very least. You can jot that down if you need to, but... Absolutely. There was um, heavy consideration in that regard. Believe heavy me, consideration. I, I would love to drop everything and do that right now 
However, but we com- we committed to this gimmick. We have to actually stick the landing on this we, one. We we do have to stick to this, and also there there are people there there are people that shall be remain nameless that would uh, absolutely go nuclear if I if I talk about Wandavision uh, right now. So we'll we'll save that for a rainy day. We'll get there. I don't know where it'll be. I don't know when it'll be. But I tr- trust me when I say we'll get there. I'm just going to make the safe assumption that somebody who hasn't finished the season yet, and unlike half the people on Twitter, you're trying to not ruin it for them, which is commendable at this point, more than anything. Eh, we'll say that too. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Um, but I really felt there was a lot going for AEW heading into this pay-per-view. Um, we had opened the Forbidden Door uh, between AEW and Impact, and I had been really enjoying what was going on there. Hell, it made me a semi-regular Impact watcher for the first time in nearly a decade. And uh, there was some strong stuff going on over there, too, uh, with the Good Brothers and with uh, the late emergence of Finjuice opening up another forbidden jo- door that we never thought we'd see again between New Japan and Impact after the way yeah. Okada was almost completely ruined by them. And- uh, yeah. yeah, I believe there was some rumors as well that they have formally apologized to the New Japan office for that one now at this point to sort of help make that relationship slightly less sour. And I don't blame them for it because Okada still has enough hearsay at this point to just go, yeah, no, we're not doing that and just shut the whole thing off if you really, really wanted to. What I will say is I don't really consider it like a full opening of the door at least not yet we've seen it being like cracked open to an extent people pick peeking in and out figuring out what the other's doing maybe a couple of stragglers sliding in and out of that door as they need, need to come and please i just don't think it's a full working relationship yet but there's waves at this point for getting it done and for those who haven't gone out of their way to see it yet the uh New Japan Strong Show that had the title defense of the U.S. title defense of John Moxley against the uh, rights holder Kenta at the time uh, was a must-see match as well, too. Just a good 15, 20 minutes of sheer two men just beating the crap out of each other, and they worked and did, did its job in that regard. And as I mentioned, it's been exciting to see Finn Juice dipping their toes over on the Nashville side of defense here as well, especially since both are uh, U.S.-based in terms of their current residence as well, so the trip is much easier for them in mm. that regard. Uh, I will say this as well, too, for AEW. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. I do think that their go-home show for Revolution might have been one of the best ones that they've done since the pandemic started from start to finish. So kudos to them on that. But then we get into Revolution itself, which... Yeah, absolutely. And keep in mind, even though he's no longer the champion, I can't think of anybody who's had a consistently higher level of matches that I personally enjoyed, not only in AEW, but elsewhere too, than John Moxley in 2020 and early 2021 heading into this pay-per-view. Uh, you know, we didn't do we didn't do awards, but he's my wrestler of the year in a walk. Uh, you know, the the stuff with uh, the the dearly departed Brody Lee, the stuff with Eddie Kingston, the stuff with Kenny Omega leading up to this, the stuff with Kenta, the the stuff at Bloodsport. Um both his appearances at Bloodsport now, um, just really, really enjoyable. It's 
it's amazing what can happen when you let a top tier talent be themselves and have you know some semblance of input what what can happen because the difference between dean ambrose and john moxley is night and day as my strong style story co-host jeffrey russell does keep asking on a semi-often basis how the fuck did vince mcmahon screw this one up yeah it's it's um, there's many answers to that there's many answers to that question but it is a very valid question at this point we don't have enough time to get into all the answers to that question unfortunately (laughs) but it's a hell of a question (laughs) so you have that uh you had the women's tournament going into this which um my gripe and your gripe i think is the same wish more of it would have been on their actual television show Mm -hmm. but You know, we still got a whole bracket full of people in Japan who were either returning for the first time in nearly two years to the company, like Aja Kong and eventual winner Ryo Mizunami, or people who made their AEW debuts, most notably Maki Ito. Um, And that was really enjoyable, and it, it showed a depth that we had been waiting for, and had... I had been saying, unfortunately, had been stalled by the pandemic, and we're we're finally starting to catch up to where I think we were headed in 2020 when the world shut down. I mean, keep in mind, um, unfortunately, Big Swole has been battling Crohn's disease so far earlier this year and wasn't even in the tournament. So that's a top name that wasn't even in there as well. And also pile on to that Anna Jay, who had been emerging very quickly, is now going to be out close to a year after her mm-hmm. shoulder surgery. And Chris Statlander hasn't even returned from her surgery yet. Yeah, it's... Yeah. And there was a tough amount of hits on that women's division as it was, but I think between the division not being at the ready even before the pandemic hit and then getting all of these whammies in a row, it has stalled things considerably. But I do think that a problem that an area... Let's... To keep it on a more positive aspect an area of opportunity for oily wrestling at this point still more than anything is just trying to fit more of their women's division, whether they're like prepared, unprepared, whatever you might think of it is just featuring them on their flagship television show on Wednesdays more often. If the other brand in NXT finds a way of doing that in multiple segments within the same amount of hours that AEW dedicates to their flagship program, I don't see how, Tony Khan and the rest of this staff can figure out a way of getting this done in some way, shape, or form. Like, I think there's too many talented people probably there in that staff to where, like, they can put their heads together and figure this out. At this point, it's just a matter of, like, getting it done more than anything. As as we'll get to, it's changing, you know, but change is never fast enough for those that ask for it, right, wrong, or indifferent. You and I know that. Uh, and... We have the addition of a brand new uh, YouTube show this week, and I think this fall they're finally going to pull the trigger and we're getting our second show on TNT. So I think it's changing. But yeah, change is is never as fast as you want it to be. Um, But I was very encouraged by the very first... I'm considering it the first match of the pay-per-view, even though it was on the buy-in. It's the match that was supposed to get people to buy the pay-per-view, and ladies and gentlemen... Yes. I think they got a lot of people with this one. They sure did. So the match was originally supposed to be Thunder Rosa and Riho 
uh, teaming up against Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, and Rebel, or Reba, if you prefer. Um, from uh, a recent brawl with Thunder Rosa, uh, Rebel came out uh, with a comical limp and said she had a doctor's note. Of course, that doctor being Dr. Baker, <laughs> saying who that she could not the team, Who then got the Jacksonville Jaguars doctor involved and said, yeah, he agrees with me. A doctor to a doctor kind of opinion on this. Which... So... Yeah, we're we're pulling the American Medical Association, like multiple doctors agree she's not competing. So she goes and she says she found a replacement. And what a surprise. Our first of several on the evening. Out comes Maki Ito to a thunderous ovation. I was up on my feet in my living room here in Los Angeles. I was going crazy. I, I took it as a good omen for the evening. She was she was singing, people were cheering along. What a what a U.S. debut for Maki mm -hmm. Ito. As mentioned, the only downside again is just not doing this in front of, in front of a full arena that would have lost their collective shit accordingly. In somewhere like a Chicago or New York or wherever, this would have been ran in some alternate universe where the pandemic got contained much earlier than what it did. So yeah. Yeah, I will agree with that, but I mean, I was I was impressed. It was one of the biggest pops of the night, regardless, on a stacked mm -hmm. card. People yeah. were losing their minds for her. She's such a special performer. I'm so I'm so excited, and I think it speaks to the general fan base of AEW that such a large percentage knew who she was right out the gate from the moment she was announced for the women's tournament and the excitement mm -hmm. built and built and built from those performances that were taped over in Japan to the surprise here. It was, it was awesome. She was made instantly. Yeah, it was just phenomenal stuff. And the whole uh, portion of that women's tournament too and I've got to give credit to someone who's become a closer, close recent friend of mine uh, he's a Bronson Lee on Twitter in which immediately that night after the announcements for the women's tournament on the Japan bracket side were shown he basically made a tweet saying like this is two ways in which you introduce yourself to your audience on the left picture it was uh, May Suruga's tweet about it and how she introduced herself like all nice casual you know very wholesome behavior and then on the right, of course, Hello Motherfuckers by Maki Ito, that tweet, which yep. is just, <laughs> again, two different ways to introduce yourself to your audience, and lo and behold. In the age of the internet, she has done such a fantastic job, um, you know, while whilst learning English as she goes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, building a brand for herself that has just expanded and it's crossed over really nicely uh, in the Venn diagram between uh, Joshi fans and AEW fans that grows, you know, day by day as we go along. And I'm hopeful that she's going to be sticking around for a while because this is such a huge pickup. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about a little bit of that in the fallout uh, in between the end of the pay-per-view and Dynamite as well. But this was a great showcase to get her over. Uh, they got over, you know, the who is the cutest in the world, the fired, the crying, the fired idol stuff, the world's hardest head, the Kokeshi. I mean, it, they did a really good job of, of getting her over and with some of their big talents. You know, it was also done at the same time as they're putting over one of the biggest feuds in the company over the past six months, and that's Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's been, again, we can hit on this later on because there's going to be a note when talking about this upcoming Dynamite over on the 15th, 16th, 17th, I want to say. St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day, yep. Same. Just one of those uh, very interesting notes uh, for that show. And, you know, I think for the future of the women's division as a whole, too, because that's, as you mentioned, there a couple of come-ups on that and hopefully that momentum does get kept but good tag match to uh, put into the buy-in get people hyped up for the main portion of the show itself and I mean everything else in the aftermath too that was built up for what's eventually to come which was nice so yeah and they got time they almost got 16 minutes bell to bell Mm -hmm. which which is nice I mean especially if you're if you're going to feature somebody in their United States debut and you're also going to put some focus on a on a big feud, that was the way to go. This was, uh, you know, recency bias be damned, this might be the most enjoyable of the buy-in matches for an AEW pay-per-view that I can remember. But then again, I think that has just as much to do with Ito uh, as the surprise as it does with how much I've been enjoying Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean by that. So we roll right into the pay-per-view uh, proper after the opening pyro. Remember that for later. Uh, the AEW World Tag Team title match, Young Bucks versus uh, the official tag team of the Inner Circle, Chris Jericho and Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Mm-hmm. So what were, what were your feelings on this? I... Uh, I mean, I I liked it. They had built to it. They beat the crap out of Papa Buck um, and did the callback line to come pick up your trash. And they, they did some interesting things in the lead up to it. But it almost it almost felt like this was a way station to get to another point in the inner circle story. Mm-hmm. It, to me specifically, I will say one of the downsides for me is that I do feel that this entirety of this inner circle story and what eventually we get on to come Wednesday as I mentioned just this was a waypoint for it to get to what we did and the match itself it was okay I wouldn't say it was my favorite opening match that AEW's done in their pay-per-view history at this point but it hit the story beats that it needed to I guess and it gave the box another defense against at the very least one guy that's very high up on the food chain currently within the canonical status of the company. So there was that to add on because we figured like they were going to lose the titles this quickly after gaining them. So it's just, it adds a defense for them and then we go from there. So, yeah. Um, it's one of those things where it feels like they're almost falling. uh, It's been a fallback on the in-ring skills of the young bucks as being you know the greatest tag team of their generation um and i mean it's my show so i'm gonna i'm gonna say that for the 83rd time they are the greatest tag team of their generation uh it felt at least initially it felt like this was kind of a uh you know a filler defense but the results of the next match got me excited for where they're headed next. And that is the Casino Royale Tag Team Battle Royal. Um, so 
first and foremost, holy shit, the Dark Order's over, but especially John Silver is yeah. mega over. Pretty much, yeah. It's a good sign for the Beaver Boys because I did think that him and Reynolds were somewhat going to get lost on that shuffle there for a little bit with the Dark Order gaining numbers and all of the team members and stuff, but... Again, uh, John Silver, with the meat mountain of personality that he has, kind of bringing them into the fold here and just uh, having them kind of firing in all cylinders at this point. So very good showing for them. Uh, a lot of teams that looked pretty good in that as well. It was good to see Bear Country get a bit of a spotlight yes. during this as well uh, as two guys with all a little bit of beyond wrestling here and there, especially during uncharted territory days. So yeah. Uh, and at the end of the day, I do think that the right two teams were the finalists and the right team did win with, uh, Pac and Phoenix, uh, Ray Phoenix of, uh, El de la Muerte, Death Triangle being the guys who took it all at the end. Yeah. Um, the last four especially really elevated this match, and that's Silver, Jungle Boy, Ray, Phoenix, and Pac. Um, just some insane stuff from those guys. Give me combinations of all of those guys real soon. <laughs> Very enjoyable stuff down the stretch. Really kick this up. Crowd is molten for anything Dark Order related at this point. Um can't can't wait for that to uh, continue to grow. I think they're going the right speed with it personally. But yeah, um, Phoenix and Pac winning this made me immediately start salivating for the tag team match they're going to have against the Young Bucks. That is that is a meal right there. Mm -hmm, definitely. I'm incredibly excited because in a very short amount of time. Uh, Ray Phoenix and Pac have proven themselves to be an exciting pair. And it also, uh, as we'll see later in the card, gives Penta the ability to be the tremendous singles guy that he is. One of my, probably one of my favorite uh, singles performers of the last decade, as I said to somebody the other day, and I stand by that. Uh, be it Lucha Underground or Impact. Uh, or Triple A, I think he is phenomenal, and I'm very excited at where they're headed with them too. But we'll get there. Um, the next match, uh, I would say for me personally, by this point in the show, as we are approaching the halfway point, this was my match of the night so far, and that was Ryu Mizunami versus Hikaru Shida, the uh, women's tournament uh, women's title eliminator tournament winner versus the AEW women's champion, the longest reigning title holder in the history of AEW. Indeed. Shida's held that title for a long time uh, and just phenomenal matchup. If there is one minor quip that I have, not with the match itself, mind you, but I just think that they had an opportunity with, you know, bringing in Mizunami as the winner of the Japan bracket, having uh, Rio against Nyla Rose in a fantastic matchup as well, too, in which Rio did pull, pull it off uh, to get the contendership portion. I do think that outside of maybe... I get that they didn't have a whole lot of time to work it in, but Emi Sakura doing a lot of the heavy lifting again on a storytelling perspective by kind of giving us uh, some of the backstory there where 
Mizunami at one point told Hikarashita, you could take, you know, a hundred years and you wouldn't be able to beat me. Mm-hmm. And playing that further into... At the, I think they touched on it briefly during the um, one-hour like pre-show thing that they did during the aftermath of the Go Home Dynamite, I want to say. But I don't know, it feels like something that they could have tried in, including like one or two more packages if they had the time through Twitter, stuff like that. They aired a phenomenal video package in the lead-up to the match, uh, both on the TNT special and uh, before the match itself. Yes, with that talking point about when Shida started, you know, Mizunami said, you could take a hundred years and you'll never beat me. It just embarrassed her early on in her career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was I, great. Yeah, and Excalibur gets props for bringing that up during the commentary as well, too, just to further emphasize that point. It just, I feel it's one of the downsides of the Eliminator tournament kind of ending just as we're getting closer to revolution itself was not getting that extra week or two of buffer to really build that story beat into what they were doing with the rest of it. But again, areas of opportunity for future installments. Now I I can't say that I have any inside track on this or anything like that, but just optics from where I'm sitting, it seems like the trust in Excalibur has grown and you know the the old man snickering has subsided a bit since his work a rolling solo in the women's tournament i think the the esteem from some of his old some of his uh older co-workers has grown as they've shown you know you can you can snicker all you want but this guy brings the goods it's one of those things that for anybody who's paid attention to uh, pwg over the course of the years and you know, the stuff that's been happening in Southern California of just, if you've known, you've known. And for the rest of the world, you're gradually finding out, arguably, I think the best commentating team that AEW has at the moment, it's Excalibur and Taz on AEW Dark every Tuesday. I would be inclined to agree, but I would also throw negative one in there. Fair. Also fair. (laughs) Just him saying, just him saying, I love violence. It's like my favorite thing. And telling Excalibur to shut up at one point, too, which was just, well, well, that is my Twitter handle. (laughs) He fucking, he fucking made Taz fall apart, which was just absolutely beautiful. Because that is something that just doesn't happen (laughs) very often. You know, if, I mean, Taz will will make himself laugh, but he doesn't sell for a lot of other people. So, um, but yeah, bless Negative One, the best new uh, manager in pro wrestling by a country mile. Um, so also JR with the laryngitis is especially from the start. And I was like, Oh, does this mean Excalibur's taken point? And sure enough, that's the way it seemed for most of the night. He was in the, he was in the driver's seat. Yeah. Uh, it seemed that JR did recover there uh, towards the latter half of the show and kind of assumed a little bit more of a role, but definitely that first half, his voice was not, where you would have wanted it to. So yeah, Excalibur and Tony definitely had to do a bit of the heavy lifting on the commentary side and they handled themselves quite well. So yeah. And you know, it was most apparent here. Um, Excalibur really got to shine on the call. I thought the action in the ring was great. Uh, a really, you know, a really snug, really well-told 15 minutes here. Sheeta wins to continue her massive run. Um, and then after the bell, 
you know, you get uh, Nyla Rose is back out. Uh, here comes Britt Baker. Here comes Thunder Rosa as well, and uh, Maki Ito, and we get a schmaz that's going to set up a, a six-person tag on Dynamite to keep these stories going. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we cut to the back. There is Marvez. He is uh, getting an interview with Orange Cassie and Chuck Taylor, and Miro, who had a monster evening, in my opinion, beats the shit out of both of these guys. I mean, puts Chuck face first through a glass window. You know, he he gets color. <laughs> Miro says, play my music. Drags him out and is whooping his ass. Um, this is monster Miro. This is good shit, pal. Yeah, I think this was for a lot of people who were waiting to have Miro do something more than just be silly Kip Sabian sidekick best friend person. This was the right match to do that. I mean, you had a mini gentlemen's club reunion this way too, which was a lot of fun and I very much enjoyed it. Uh, And to me in particular, I like the fact that they were emphasizing just how little of a shit Miro gave about everything, including his own, you know, tag partner in his now wife canonically. Yep. He was like, get the fuck out of the way. I'm driving. Also, this was a nice this was a nice uh, character beat for Chuck Taylor, who was given the chance for this to end before it even started. And we got PWG Chuck for just a moment where he laughed. He's like, <laughs> ring the bell. And then he gets the shit kicked out of him again. Uh, bell to bell, this was a little bit under eight minutes, but it was everything it needed to be from a story point of view. I had no qualms with this at all. Miro looking like a monster. Yeah, which I think, again, a lot of people have been expecting something like this from him from the get-go. Uh, and, you know, people have their right to that particular opinion there, but I do think that with Miro, it is very much... You don't want him in a position where he, I think he's challenging for a major title, has to lose as a means of like not hot-shotting him, into it and then just have him kind of on limbo for a little while there. This is fine to just have him start with something like this and then gradually build on to bigger and better things. Yeah. Because I do think the company sees a future in him long term. It's just a matter of like when it's going to eventually be that point of, okay, well, we're running the ball with this guy kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, you're you're starting to get a really, a really stacked, almost uh, crowded upper card to main event scene as we'll see as the card goes along and he's he's about to very he's about to enter a very a very packed level of that and we'll we'll talk about that more as as we progress and speaking of that we're talking it's coming at us in the next match the big money match uh hangman adam page versus uh the big money version of matt hardy this was serviceable to me for what it was, and at the end of the day, the right guy won, which, again, it's just just showing Hangman Adam Page is, I think, the to me, he is a guy that is in line to be world champion at some point. I think they're just waiting until they're able to run full shows again to finally go, okay, this is the push. We're 
you know, cashing in all, all of our, you know, yeehaw chips. <laughs> We're ready to <laughs> yee our last haul accordingly and make this man like our guy at this point more than anything. I'm inclined to agree. Um, I, I felt this match dragged a little bit, but it was still good. Um, you know, Matt Matt Hardy, the the uh, the miles are starting to show unfortunately you know and i think yeah. a lot of it he has he doesn't wrestle a lot of a lot of singles matches anymore um he is somebody i still very much enjoy the uh the crooked manager thing with with private party and and with other parties we'll see a little later on uh i think it's a cool role for him i like it a lot it uh it falls in line with uh, AEW using older talent to elevate younger talent and they have a real good batting average on that so far um I think that's great. It's a refreshing change from other places. Uh, yeah, Paige winning this one and it serving as a as a high point. You know, the Dark Order comes together uh, around him. You know, they not so much that they need him to join, but they're his friends. Was was really great. Um, and we'll uh, we'll see how he spends that money. Almost forgot, Marvez uh, was in the back with the inner circle. They say that, uh, hey, it's time for a change. We're going to have a war council on Wednesday on Dynamite. And, uh, yeah, M M Jeff and Jericho seem to agree that a change is needed. Intrigue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just set up, again, those points that we were talking about before with Inner Circle, where I do think at this point that the story has ran for it seems like they've been having these sorts of like, oh, we need these come to Jesus meetings like once a month at this point to where I'm like, okay, I'm sick of this shit. If you're going to do something at this point, just get it done and get it over with, please. And thankfully, again, Wednesday talk at that point. Yeah. We'll get to it when we get to it. But... There are enough entertaining players in that scenario, most notably Mr. Friedman, that I have been quite okay with it <laughs> up to this point. And, and we, and it's, that is going to be a bridge to the Fallout show. But the next thing we got is the Face of the Revolution ladder match. This is one that I had a lot of, you know, I was very excited to watch just because of who we knew and who we didn't know was going to be in it. Uh, Lance Archer, Cody Rhodes, Scorpio Sky, uh, Max Caster, uh, my man Penta El Zero Miedo, and the debuting Ethan Page. Fuck yeah! Like, get in. A ve very interesting time in Ethan Page's life to, you know, uh, spend all the time that he did trying to get out of Impact to come into a company that sort of has a working agreement with them. So, like, I'm hoping he somewhere got it into his contract of Tony Khan. Do not send me to any Impact shows. <laughs> I am not interested. Thank you very much. You know, goodbye. It would have been a cool bridge, but they had to fuck up his Karate Man deal. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we could have got impact the impact. Gonna impact. Yeah, uh... we could have got a blow off to, uh, you know, to the north explodes, but have them be on different brands. But uh, man, you know, I, I I will say, impacts had more hits than misses as of late, as I've started watching again. But that was a big miss. You know what they did with the Karate Man thing, and they just fucking. You know, they burned that bridge for him on the way out. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's very much the gist of it right there. But in terms of the ladder matches, some interesting stuff happened here. There were some good spots. I do feel that it wasn't anything like out of this world to write about. But 
they did the things they needed to do with it. Uh, I should give Max Caster credit enough for somewhat being a little bit of a heat-seeking uh, missile at this point with some of the lines that he was dropping. Ooh. Like, I, I kind of was just like, wait, that line about Andrew Cuomo was just, wait, did he actually say that? Wow, he actually did say that. Wow, okay, it's, then. It's that, been that's quite where a we're while. going with this. Okay. It's been quite a while since we've had a character that has just pretty much been like, fuck it, I'm going to say whatever I want on live TV. Yeah. So... Definitely a bit of a throwback, uh, Max Caster. I will say he trained with uh, the folks at Creative Pro, you know, uh, most notably uh, Brian Myers and uh, Smart Mark Sterling, and they've had nothing but glowing things to say about him, that he's worked his ass off for a long time, and so he's definitely... It was cool to see him get a... You know, have him grow and get a spotlight, both as part of the acclaimed, and then have this, you know, showcase Mm -hmm. within it. Uh, and he was he was running with some big names here. True. I mean, on paper, it was almost like a one of these things is not like the others because these guys have been upper mid card, you know, upper card or straight up main event guys either in yeah. AEW or elsewhere. So this it's was very uh, true. Th- this elevated him. He wasn't gonna win, but this is one of those times where I thought he looked good. He was one of the highlights of this thing. Uh, Archer being Archer and Killing Fools. Uh, Cody, do a, I, I did kind of groan when they did the thing where Cody got carted out and then came back. But then what Cody did when he came back was actually pretty good. So I got over it. Uh, I, I just think it was really dumb of them to keep him within sight at the entrance of the mm-hmm. ramp itself where the hard camera is, is literally right there and you can see this happening. To where it's just like, okay, we we know what's going on here and what's eventually going to happen. Like, just get on with it at this point, which yeah. I think was more of an annoyance than anything else. But I'll say this. The right guy won. The Absolutely. right guy 100% won, the, won his own personal, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog ring. There's been memes <laughs> about that done, but... I, I mean, it was, the right deci- it was the right decision to make because Scorpio Sky has been a guy that has been canonically winning a lot of matches whether that's aw dark or whenever he shows up on dynamite so yeah this 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 is a guy that should be on tv at this point every week especially if you're gonna run this sort of like egomaniacal like i'm the best looking motherfucker in this place kind of deal that he's been going on the past couple weeks hey let's be real I, he I, is a very good-looking motherfucker, though. He really is. I, I have had multiple that. conversations and worked in the same spaces as Scorpio Sky. I'm comfortable enough in who I am to say, that is one handsome son of a bitch. So who am I? <laughs> who am I to doubt Scorpio Sky when he says that? Um, in all honesty, the build for Scorp has been fantastic from the beginning. You know, one half of the very first AEW World Tag Team Champions, the first man in AEW to pin Chris Jericho, the mm-hmm. as one half of the Tag Team Champions, got a world title shot, has had TNT title shots, has continually won. I think his record after this was something insane, like all-time in AEW was something like 31-7. and seven. And yeah, I think only what, Kenny Omega it, has won more matches in all of AEW's history. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things where, for a lot of people, it unfortunately hasn't gone as noticed because it's been mostly on the Tuesday show that he's been kind of 
feature like he's been the guy over there and not so much on Dynamite Edition. So hopefully with this title win, uh, excuse me, with this ring win, you know, contendership win, what have you, uh, going forward, he is a more featured face on the Wednesday night flagship. I, I think that was already in motion just because I thought it was really smart. The fan base already knows the guy can go, but to have him on commentary on Dynamite for a couple of weeks and really get the character side of the shift over and you could hear it happening in real time as he interacted with the commentators, um, I thought was great. And I thought that was really good storytelling. And I feel the building blocks they've done with Scorp, you know, from the beginning till now, it has been very measured and has been very good. And we'll continue to talk about the progression on the Wednesday show following. But a, a good dude and absolutely deserving of this. On a personal level, I was fucking stoked. Uh, Penta was getting back to those flashes of brilliance in this match as well. I especially loved his interactions with Cody. So it's a good thing for me. <laughs> what will follow this too? Um, but yeah, he wins. He wins the Sonic ring. The green Hill zone belongs to Scorpio sky. And we continue to uh, move on from here. This next match. It was, it was interesting. Um, I'm, I don't say interesting, meaning I didn't like it, but it was interesting nonetheless. Uh, for for those that do not know, um, that that sports car is Brian Cage's car. And yeah, it is I was ridiculously say, I'm like, expensive. I, I'm like, oh yeah, right. I have seen this in a PWG parking lot at one point in my life. No wonder I recognized it. <laughs> Talk about a a diamond in a sea of coal. <laughs> that two hundred fifty thousand dollar car in a in the fucking American Legion Post three oh eight parking lot. Mm -hmm. God and bless Brian I think, Cage. I think the worst part is that it was like at a show too, where we knew like somebody was getting replaced by somebody else to the injury or like a flight issue, and then we realized the moment we saw the car in the parking lot. Yep, it's Cage. He's the replacement. <laughs> yeah, I think it was either that or a mystery vortex. And either way, yes, that was exactly the moment everyone's like, oh, oh, all right, so Brian's here. And, and, and for those who are curious, yes, his uh, his literal California, uh, you know, license plate does say Mr. GMSI. Yes. It. We're not kidding. Fucking, this is a real thing. Fucking tremendous. He, he owns it. He, he straight yeah, up yeah, owns exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to just go full gimmick, fuck it. Go all the way in. Absolutely. He is he is very much in the Gypsy Rose Lee school of you got to have a gimmick and you got to live the gimmick. He's all about it. And bless him for it. Um, another And that's what makes his pairing with a guy like Absolute Ricky Starks so good. Um, Starks is in the running as one of the five best promos in pro wrestling. And every time he gets a hold of the mic and gets something he can chew on, it's it's gold. Mm -hmm. And I really like the makeup of Team Taz. Yeah, Team Taz, I think, has been one of the most consistent parts of AEW since the foundation of it Agreed. happened as, uh, altogether. So just big fan. 
Yep. Huge fan. And to build a guy like Will Hobbs during the process, and then you you have uh, Taz's son, Hook, right now as the instigator and a long-term project, too, and Taz being a mouthpiece all over, whether on commentary or with the crew. Um, I will say that was the one thing I would have changed about this, is commentary over the cinematic deal. You don't have the commentary and the music. Like, choose one or the other. I thought yeah, that was, it was too busy. I think that was a lot of people's main gripe with that as well, and I would have to agree with it. So, yeah, um, I will say them entering that warehouse. Uh, it looks like they found where they taped the '97 Raw is War opening, so I got a little excited, being a big old wrestling nerd. Uh, the entrance for Sting and Darby was admittedly pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I was just thinking to myself, I halfway kind of made the joke of, wow, the, the temple really is in shambles after Dario Cueto and everybody else left. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's an even better story. The remains of the temple. They're, they're fucking, they're chilling in Boyle Heights when they transported Boyle Heights to Jacksonville. I don't fucking know. Bo but Boyle Heights hits different in the, it, in the pandemic. You goddamn right it does. Boyle Heights hits different under the best of circumstances. You know, shouts out to uh, to our days going to Lucha Underground live and in, in public, if you will. Uh, but really cool entrance. Uh, Sting and Darby coming from other sides of town. Sting in just a, you know, a beat up pickup truck. And they, they meet and Darby is sketching off the back. I was like, all right, that's pretty fucking cool. And then away we go. And, uh... You know, this got violent in a hurry. Yes, it did very much escalate. And I think for all four guys, it did what it needed to do in, to, in just giving them all something to work with at one point or another. Again, I think the biggest distraction was just both the weird combo of commentary and music uh, rather than picking one or the other. But outside of that, I had no other gripes. I think they did really, really good with the street fight. And and they needed something to fill the time while a certain ring got certain moderations uh, to it. So there's also that. Yeah, um, I will say kudos to them for not doing the, the schizophrenic cuts once we actually got into the meat of the match. I really appreciated that. Um, that unfortunately uh the the mcmahons and the kevin duns of the world like that so so many other people may do that consciously or subconsciously even with the cinematic matches i appreciated that that was not the case here so you know even we'll we'll do the we'll do the compliment sandwich i, I like the action you got to pick <laughs> the middle uh, with the the shit being, you got to pick the music or the commentary. Don't do both. But I'll say the other side of it was the visual production of this was was really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely for sort of their first main foray into the whole cinematic quote unquote, if you will, uh, side of the uh, universe. There, they did a really good job with it. Uh, well, I wouldn't no say complaints on my end. I wouldn't say their first. I mean. You know, I, and technically Stadium Stampede could count in some ways, I would say. And I would even say the the uh, the deletion match with uh, Sammy and Matt Hardy. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but I I liked this. This was different than those. I think is what we're trying to what we're dancing around. Yeah, the the aesthetic and everything that they chose on how to shoot it and what have you, uh, just yeah, I think it highlighted all four of the guys really well and eventually even gave you know Hobbs and Hook a little bit of a rub too with the way that they ran into it as well. Absolutely. So an interesting point was brought up that, you know, this style definitely hides Sting's shortcomings, but from what we've seen during Live Dynamites, do we even know that he has any quote-unquote shortcomings other than being a step slower at this point? Because he took Cage's best shot, a very stiff powerbomb on live TV, and, you know, got up and came back for more, was hitting the Stinger splashes, was hitting all that other stuff. I mean... Ultimately, do we slowly work to the point where we get that inevitable Sting Cody Rhodes match six, eight, twelve months down the line on a pay per view? I figure that's probably the long term opportunity there. I think it's just a matter of making sure that he can go, you know, five to ten minutes without blowing up entirely and then sort of having to have the other guy do everything else up until whenever you want the match to finish. Mm hmm. Because you do have to consider that based on age and everything else. Absolutely. This was a this was a like, and I'm I'm I say this I'm gonna draw an analogy here because I'm working on a uh, a different project regarding Saturday Night Live right now in the first five years of it, and they always talk about on SNL like glue guys. I feel like this this segment this piece of the pay per view was the glue piece of the pay per view because it was a it fulfilled so many different roles for a cohesive whole uh this this was entertaining it looked different from everything else it was you know it was mostly a lot of fun it was violent uh you know people got over uh not just one person but multiple people got over through the course of this and also it gave them a good 15, 20 minutes with the whole presentation to actually set the ring up for the main event. So I just thought it was a very smart piece of business all the way around. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, and I mean here and straight from there, no bullshit, video package time and here we go into the main event. The exploding barbed wire death match. Kenny Omega John Moxley, the rematch for the AEW world title. Um, I will say this, going into it, I was very excited. Bryce Remsburg wearing the hazmat suit was fucking a great touch. Talk about one of the un, the most criminally underrated performers in pro wrestling is Bryce Remsburg. If you don't believe me, go back to the collective in 2019 and watch him put on a one-man show for the Invisible Man versus Invisible Stan match at spring break. Because this is a special performer and an even better human being. So I was fucking stoked when I saw that it was Bryce and that he was wearing a bomb suit. I was like, oh yes, here we go. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I definitely do agree on the fact that Bryce selling it the way that it did, and they set up the environment quite well on it as well, too. I thought, again, only doing the three out of the four sides was weird, but then at the same time, I kind of figured with the, with the interest, aesthetics, and that 
with what we eventually got later on during the match, I'm like, okay, I get it. They needed one side at least to not be gimmicked in full for whatever. Just yeah, it it made sense because you have the ramp, and because they made a very conscious decision that was going to set them apart from every other company out there, big, small, or in between. And and they've owned that choice the entire way along. So I I had no problem with that. Um, I'll say I really enjoyed the match. And that's going to be an important distinction to make as we go along. I thought this was a great main event. This was a worthy entry into the series between these two. And they've done a very good job of spacing these matches out and making them feel important. In the, you know, just short of two years that AEW has been in existence, these two have only actually had three proper matches. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and I, you know, the first and third are, were very violent. The second one, you know, was one of the most important story beats of all of last year. And probably mm-hmm. my my pick for the best the best television episode of of wrestling anywhere last year was the one where Kenny won the world title in the main event on uh, Winter's Coming. But mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, this built they they sold the danger. They very much told a story. They worked up to those spots, and uh, I will say that I liked the way they used the explosions on the ropes. I thought those look I thought those looked like a you know, visually the way they shot it, I liked it. You know, your your mileage is gonna vary. We had a lot of a lot of the uh the grumpy old uh deathmatch people in on Twitter who were just like, Oh yeah, I don't like the explosions. I was just like the the ones on the the ones on the ring ropes and they're hitting it are just you know, they are what they are. I thought they looked cool. I thought maybe my favorite spot of the match was they kept intact the, the narrative that nobody can kick out of the one at Winged Angel. So Moxley kicked the <laughs> barbed wire and set off an explosion in Kenny's face. I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the better story beats in the match outright for me. Uh, I popped huge for it personally. Yeah, it was tremendous. Uh, the... The fucking exploding bat looked awesome, in my opinion. And and that leading to the finish. And also, the it was just a matter of time when the Good Brothers were going to get out there because they become, they've become the bridge between Impact storytelling and AEW storytelling. And as we slowly see that grow, we've already seen the Good Brothers, Kenny Omega, Don Callis, Private Party, and Matt Hardy. Um, and probably fin juice as far as people that have crossed back and forth uh so and i think that will grow as we were saying before but it was it was an inevitability that they were going to be involved i didn't have a problem with it as a result um i think the right guy won and then we start getting into the part where people where where, where people got really really upset and that was uh, the the first thing they got upset about was that the match ended before the thirty minute mark in the exploding ring. That was the first thing. I think for me in particular it was more so that we've seen this trend of 
Guns and Gallows, Good Brothers, basically running amok at this point and just sort of setting things up for it. And I did figure that it was kind of odd that they didn't do it, that they finished the match, the match portion itself before the 30-minute mark. But then, well, we can get into it at this point, just if you want to explain what yes. happens at the ending of the show, and then we'll go from there, because that's really the crux of, I think, a lot of people's talk regarding AEW for the past uh, week and a half and the aftermath and things like that. So, which, which is unfortunate and and we're, we're really going to dive into it. That's the meat of this episode right here. So what happens is uh, Kenny hits a one winged angel after the exploding bat gimmick and wins. Um, at that point, they, they do the beat down. All of a sudden we hear the sirens. Here comes the warning. You can't help but get excited for what's coming next because it's like, Oh, I mean, if you look at my Twitter time, my, my tweeting at that time as I was watching the show, I mean, I essentially went, "Oh, wait a minute, it's still armed," and I got a, I, God help me, got a little excited. Um, and then something very interesting happened, and that was, here comes Eddie Kingston, and running out, and you know, people trying to stop him, he's trying to push past people. And it did several things narratively in that moment. It established that, you know, despite everything, Eddie Kingston is not going to stand back and watch this guy that he was friends with for so long and came up with so long, even though they hate each other now. It he, There was no way he could stand by and let him, you know, be in that situation. And one of it ultimately did result in one of the better face turns I can remember. Uh, the only sad part about it was that the explosions themselves didn't live up to it because Eddie covers him as the, to take the hit Captain America style as we count down to zero. You know, we get the sparklers, we get the we, we get the bombs on the side of the ring. Um, you know, it was really interesting not to get into the hearsay thing, but. In the aftermath, uh, you know, fellow member of the Steel Cage Podcast Network, Derek Montilla, um, from Minutes with the Mayor um, and Dates, had said that he had seen somebody have to cut a line and pull it out, and he thinks somebody might have accidentally, from the look of it, cut the line for the explosion under the ring. And that might have been part of the reason it was, uh, it was a dud. Uh, we would find out later that they had tested it, and it tested very well beforehand. Unfortunately, it was just a dud, and it was their bad luck. But the bomb was underwhelming. The crowd booed, which sucked. Um, JR, you know, bless him, still managed to get one good line out about, you know, Moxley may, have, may not have won the world title, but he got his best friend back, which I thought was really good and, uh, you know, Bless his heart, a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, and then after it went off the air, Moxley saved it with the live crowd saying, and I quote, Kenny Omega may be a tough son of a bitch, but he can't build an exploding ring worth of shit. Which got a huge cheer, and also plays into the fact that, you know, Kenny was doing his best Dr. Wily and building this crazy thing and drawing up plans on television leading up to it. So... This was where you and I got heated in different directions after it. 
Um, and keep in mind, this was immediately like after it live, oh, yeah. within the first like hours of it, having digested on it a little bit more and with Wednesday in mind, which we'll get into in a little bit here. I think perspectives definitely have changed, but I'll say this from my particular perspective on Sunday, it's that, and I think it still does have some merit to talk about this now, and just the fact that when you advertise a match of this magnitude where you're going exploring barbed wire deathmatch, like that gives you a certain image, okay? But then you are also bringing Atsushi Onita, who is kind of the innovator of this stuff, good for the good and for the bad, depending on which one of these you watch. Uh, he's had quite a storied history with these, by the way. Um, it just becomes a situation where you're setting yourselves up with a certain kind of a standard that I think a lot of the pay-per-view was built on for this main event. And then whether it's accidental or not, unfortunate as it is, because I do think that AEW's intentions were to like do the big sort of bag, at least a decent enough explosion where, holy shit, these two guys are in the ring and they get blown up accordingly. And it makes Eddie Kingston's like heroic sacrifice look that even more, you know, crazy and just, you know, friendship and everything else in between. But then when you have a dub like this, you know, it's unfortunate circumstances that brought it up. And I do think that it sucks in that regard. I don't think anyone meant for it to go that route, but I do think that the route that they took initially from Tony Khan's perspective, at least explaining on the aftermath of the show, we're just saying, Oh, Kenny Omega just built a really bad bomb. And then Moxley kind of saying that as well. I'm just like, wait a minute. Um, considering the fact that this bomb was originally supposed to go off like with a big kaboom kind of thing, you're almost doing Kenny Omega the service in a way by going that particular route. And rather than, it feels to me like rather than owning the circumstances where, hey, it's, you know, a live pay-per-view. Unfortunately, this happened. That's on us for not getting it right. We apologize, and we, if we ever do this again, we will make sure that we get it right. It just feels like you're passing the buck, and I think with AEW at this point, you're past being a company that's been around for one year, and oh, hey, mistakes happen. We're figuring this out as we go. I do think that with the amount of money that's invested in this operation, that you could rent, as you mentioned, if you ran tests, good I feel that you could have ran more tests. I feel that for a match of this caliber, you could have amped up the explosions even more. And I say my biggest quarrel with it as well was that in a match of this sort, in the past, they've always been done in open air, in really big open air stadiums. Kawasaki Stadium is infamous in that regard for hosting a lot of these matches in FMW. So I do feel that with AEW having access to Daly's Place, but also to... Uh, a nice little football field that the Jaguars and the cons own right next door, that this would have been a prime opportunity to take your pay-per-view right into that stadium itself and have more space to work with and really set up these explosions and really just go full shebang all out in that regard. I feel that a wasted opportunity like that on top of the snafus that happened just did the match and I think the overall lasting impression of the show enough of a disservice to where I understood why people would be 
upset and why they would be memeing the shit out of it, even though it's undeserved and uh, kind of a slap in the face on what the performers did with the match beforehand. Because as we, we both agree, it was a really good match. And then the ending just sort of like, well, this happened. But, and we can get into Wednesday once we get into Wednesday, but I figure like you might as well get your side of the view into that as well too, since this is really kind of the reason why we're doing this episode in the first place. Oh man, do I have a lot to say. Now, upon further reflection, I have different frames of reference from your your average tweeter or deathmatch grandpa or whatever you want to do and i know the deathmatch community is probably all pissed at me well you know i i have grown to enjoy deathmatch wrestling a lot especially working a lot of gcw live events however i have never enjoyed the gatekeeping i think the gatekeeping is dumb the gatekeeping that was happening during the match was fucking dumb and added nothing and I will hold on to that and I will continue to beat that drum and I won't be sorry about it. Now as far as this ending and the fallout are concerned, I'm not only coming out at this as a wrestling fan, but somebody that has worked in production for live events. I you know, having been a producer, having been a live performer, number one, shit happens. You know, it's live live. And you have to roll with it. So in that moment, Moxley made that decision. And it was either the best or second best decision that could probably be made in that moment. And narratively, it made sense to their audience. To their audience that not only knows Kenny Omega as a conniving heel, but knows Kenny Omega as peak anime villain. Going back to the moment he set foot in New Japan Pro Wrestling as the cleaner so narratively that lined up that was probably the smartest remaining move moxley could have made now beyond that um i and and this has to do with perspective and this has to do with something that you and i have discussed both on and off air um and has been one of my things across you know a hundred plus episodes of this show and however long it'll run past this episode and that is that there's so much fucking negativity in pro wrestling over shit that ultimately doesn't matter and i have something to say for the people who said that that 64 seconds ruined an otherwise great upper tier four-hour pay-per-view for you with three regular roster debuts that were all great we didn't fuck we didn't even talk about christian cage signing a contract with aew as the big surprise yeah this is true and i do think that we can touch on that a little bit more wednesday because that what i think was where the bulk of the meat with that pretty much uh went into but mm-hmm. please continue Absolutely. Just shame on me. I completely had spaced on that happening. That's how much fucking happened on this pay-per-view. And it was all good to great in, in my opinion. And it's just, and I know that there's people that are gonna, that are gonna be pissy and they're gonna say that I'm caping for AEW or they're gonna make some snarky on the payroll jokes. I don't work for them guys. I just, I'm calling it like I see it. I've been watching wrestling for entirely too fucking long at this point. They did a whole lot of things across this show that made narrative sense and didn't insult my intelligence as a regular viewer, which, you know, is 
pretty rare <laughs> for this medium of entertainment. And I, as a result, was willing to give them a little slack to see what the follow-up on Wednesday was. And again, if 64 seconds ruined the enjoyment of an otherwise great four-hour pay-per-view, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you might want to go watch something else. It's 2021. There are no shortage of amazing options. Hell, tweet me at Jack Heartless and I will give you some amazing ones. Here's a few for free. Mandalorian, WandaVision, Golden Girls, The Sopranos, um... I'm the currently... wire. Let's not forget the wire. Let's not forget the wire. Shouts out to HBO. Baltimore. I'm also, <laughs> I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I'm currently watching the original cast, the first five seasons of SNL. There's a whole lot of quality there, my friends. There are no shortage of options. I, I yeah. really feel bad for anybody who went to the extreme that said that that minute ruined it. I did not enjoy the the dud. But I was willing to give them, they have built up enough goodwill with me personally that I was willing to see what the follow-up was going to be. And I also considered the players. I considered yeah. the fact that Eddie Kingston is right now the best promo in pro wrestling. And Period. that's the point that I wanted to get into as well, just to add on to your stuff as well. I don't necessarily agree with the idea of judging an entire show within 64 very bad seconds of it. But at the same time, I think that for people who are in the fence with a company like AEW and who may have not, whose mileage may vary on everything else that happened during the course of the night, their reaction's still extreme to me. But at the same time, I get it. I've seen people rage quit over worse and a much lesser period of time. Uh, what I will say, though, is that out of all the people for this to happen to, for this dud to happen to, if there were two guys in that company that you can 100% say with confidence they'll salvage this in some way, shape, or form, even though they shouldn't fucking have to, but if they really have to, John Moxley and Eddie Kingston are those guys. Mm -hmm. So, thankfully, there there is that. So I think we're in a good enough place to go on the Wednesday at this point. <laughs> we, we absolutely are. To bottom line it, as a performer, I feel like uh, I can bring a different viewing to that, and that was the lens I put this through, is having the trust in the performers to work with the story and tell the story, because this is not the tightly scripted environment that other places are, and they were going to have the ability to use their talents to make this work, to make the chicken salad, because you got you got no less than four chefs that can do that and have done that and will continue to do that. I'm talking not just Eddie Kingston and John Moxley. Kenny Omega and Don Callis are no slouches either, and uh, we definitely saw as we went along what that it would entail. So yeah, uh, before we even get into Dynamite, I want to give a special shout out to Being the Elite, where uh, the Dark Order segment, again, was the best thing on the show. They not only built the fact that uh, Adam Page, other than buying a giant riding lawnmower, had given the rest of the money away to education, which, good on him, totally in character as a guy who was a former full-time teacher. <laughs> Gotta love the hangman. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, all these guys from the Dark Order had charged stuff thinking, oh, he'll pay it off later, you know, the way we all are with our stimulus. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and the, way, the way I love the two is that in the aftermath of all that, too, 
Evil Udu took to Twitter and basically showed the picture of all of them sans Alan Angels number five on the lawnmower as this uh, this is the Dark Orders of like wacky racers like Mobile basically kind of things. And I'm just like one phenomenal reference two. I kind of now need Penelope Ford doing uh, Penelope Pit Stop more than ever at this point. Yeah, um, <laughs> that right? that's going to Just... bring up another topic here in a moment. Um, yeah. But then to go from that to the perfect John Silver. God, John Silver is just such a great, like, everything guy for them. I, I love it. He, he has this amazing lead in line. He was like, you know... Anna's out of action, and there's no woman that could possibly replace Anna J. And we hear a knock, and then surprise, motherfuckers! And finally, and everybody just freaks out. That was such so. an amazing moment in the cut. Maki Ito finally meets the Dark Order. This is great. So excited when that happened. Um, something people have been clamoring for. It goes back to something I've been saying about you know doing stuff narratively, listening to your audience, not insulting their intelligence. It's something people had been asking for when it became clear that Maki was going to be a little bit more involved and that there were, uh, there were some, uh, there was some room for growth and expansion within the dark order as it stood with them chasing hangman and such. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also Evil Uno losing his shit and jumping on the background of that as they were all freaking out to just pop me immensely. Bless him. What what another talented performer. A glue guy, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very enjoyable. I, I love all these PWG guys who have been so talented for so long getting to shine and uh, and growing and evolving. And he, he's another one on that list. But uh, we, we went from there and that absolutely enjoyable moment straight into our post-pay-per-view episode of Dynamite. We came out the gate hot with Ray Phoenix versus Matt Jackson. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it does make me feel that we're getting Pac versus Nick Jackson at some point here real soon. And I'm just like, all right, this, this is where the sausage gets made. You know, I am I am fine with this rivalry being built and being cultivated on the backs of the in-ring action because look at the four guys you have in there. You know, yeah, exactly. So many people had stated, and I believe you and I included, that if Phoenix versus Nick Jackson wasn't the greatest singles match uh, in the short history of Dynamite, it was damn close. And this this was right up there with it. I mean, Phoenix was doing wild, unbelievable shit. He just, the casual, like, step out, bounce off the bottom rope into the swinging um, Hurricane Rana on the floor made me jump out of my chair. Yeah, Phoenix is just not fair because it feels to me like <laughs> he is one of those guys that if you canonically explain to me that he entered some sort of reality where... He trained at like 10 times gravity like he's a Dragon Ball character and then came back into Earth and just can do all this shit effortlessly. I would believe you 100%. Absolutely it bananas. It would explain a lot, actually. He's so, so exciting. Um, just what a special performer. 
I cannot wait to see this feud continue to grow. Yes, I absolutely need Pac versus Nick Jackson within the next couple of weeks. Give that to me. Um, now, I had said going into this episode uh, to you and to several other parties that we needed to have a one-two punch of Moxley's promo from the pay-per-view opening the show led by a fired-up Eddie Kingston promo. It was close. Um, because that was the absolute next thing we got was Kingston and Moxley drinking together. And what a promo from Eddie Kingston. Um, not, not just a great promo, but great human who has been very open about mental health as, you know, on and off screen, which Mm -hmm. truthfully is, has helped a lot of other people, both fans and performers alike be open as well because to have somebody as respected as as eddie is to do that it's made other people more comfortable with the idea of doing that themselves so for him to do that and him to use that as part of the story as to you know passing out even with the dud um and and yeah, tying it back to a very real thing happening to him with Rikers him. was like mm-hmm. wow. Yeah, I get and I mean to me I figured specifically that Eddie would go somewhat into the personal well to bring mm-hmm. this one out, but it's just like wow man, like again, I hate that we had to put him in that position, but at the same time I'm glad that he is willing enough to open himself to that level of vulnerability to actually, you know, share something that close and personal with an audience. And not only it makes sense in the storyline, but also kind of, again, get the impression out there that, yes, it is more than okay to talk about these things with people, that it's not shit that you keep bottled up in your chest until it's too, it's too late. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And so I thought that was that was phenomenal. That was a home run for me personally. Um, and then just staring down the barrel and putting his hand in the fire and asking Kenny if, if he thinks this is a game, if he thinks this is one of his video games, if he thinks it's funny. <laughs> but uh, and then Moxley, I, I love Moxley can be funny, but I I love when it's it never ever should have been or had to be the he's so wacky Vince McMahon version of comedy. The the shit like this where they were saying Impact Wrestling paid for the bomb and asked him if it came in a box that said Acme on it was fucking great. And it totally yeah. worked within the story. It was just like a little shift change and back they go. You know, I've seen more explosive volcanoes in my fourth grade science class. They just fucking leaned into it, owned it, and they both cut a fantastic promo that lets you know, well, this fucking wild situation has got us back on the same page again. We've known each other for 20 years, and this is bad fucking news for you. Yeah, it's one of those things, too, where I did love the little nod as well, too, with them talking about it, and then Eddie going, you know, world titles do crazy things to you, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's very much, that's very much the beat of that particular story and how it sort of turned out, so... I get the harking back to that. The the fact that it was Eddie initially that suggested the impact built the bomb and then Moxley just built on that joke even further as well, too. And I'm just like, okay, we're blaming Don Callis for everything. I'm okay with this outcome at this point now. Yeah. Cool. 
let's just run with it. Like, because at this point, it is making the best out of the worst possible situation you could have had under that scenario. And I'm glad that we had the right people around it to do that because on the hands of anybody else, I don't think I would have been as uh, forthcoming with my trust, I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah. What it comes down to at the end of the day is putting people in positions and then trusting them to follow through on their work. And, you know, I can speak to that both as a performer and a producer. People are probably sick of me saying this, but it's, it's true. You put the people in those positions and then micromanaging them doesn't work. I know it doesn't work for me. Allow me to do the job you hired me for and let me do the work. And that's what they did. That's what they have, for the most part, have done over the past, you know, 20 months, 21 months, is they have put people in those positions and they've allowed them to do the work they hired them to do and didn't insult their intelligence and they didn't insult mine as a viewer. Awesome. You've, you've salvaged this, you've made the best of the situation and away we go. And they're going to continue to do that as we go along. Now, uh, Cody squashes somebody in about 60 seconds. I didn't even catch the guy's name. He's still wrestling with one good arm. You know, typical, uh, typical roads over the past 40 years. So, uh, here comes Shivani. He's got questions, especially after, you know, the Shaq match and him pulling the disappearing trick in the ambulance. And, uh... You know, Cody's coming off of two losses in a row, and he doesn't lose very often. And he is cut off by our fucking dude. Here comes Penta, looking the absolute peak of fashion. As we have said on this show before, in case you're not aware, the peak of fashion is a suit and a luchador mask. It's always the classiest fucking thing in the universe. Yeah, it's like, once again, we have to emphasize the point. There's drip. And then there's Lucha Drip. Lucha Drip, and Lucha baby. Drip looks different every time. It always every hits different. fucking time. Just... He looked fucking phenomenal. He looked like a main event guy strutting around in that suit. And he, he started out with an interpreter. And uh, then he got to the point where he was like, I'm just going to do this myself. If you're the Prince of Pro Wrestling, I am the Lord of Lucha Libre. And I was like, what a line! So good. And then and then when he said when he said he's lucky, Cody was lucky that he didn't hurt him even worse, because can Cody even imagine if he was too hurt to hold his newborn baby girl? And I was like, fuck! And there we go. The fight was on. And you know, what a brawl. There's something else that I think AEW does better than other places. You know, those those brawls look like the old Jim the old Jim Crockett promotions brawls. R.I.P. Jim Crockett Jr. But uh yeah, Cody Cody looked pissed. Mm hmm Just very it was a very good pull apart brawl between the two of them setting up something for the future and getting giving you some beats and that yeah, Penta's going at this on this, he's going to be the singles guy for uh, Death Triangle for the time being. And to add on top of that, Cody has a bad shoulder. Anyone who's any bit familiar with Pentagon knows this propensity for 
doing things to people's arms. I would touch the void if he snaps Cody's arm to write him off of television. I believe that might be the end game here, and if that is the case, I I am here for it. I demand more sacrifices. Oh, Pentagon is his own fucking master now. He can do this whenever the fuck he wants. He sure can. He sure can indeed. I am tingly from the idea of that being where we're headed. I really fucking want that now. Um, Yeah, this feud intrigues me. It built off of what I thought were some really cool interactions between them in the latter match a few nights earlier. This is great. I'm all for this. I want to see where this goes. So far, you know, we're we're three for three as far as things hidden for me in in this uh, this post revolution episode. We then head over to uh, the gentleman's club, who is convened in the arcade. Our friend Orange Cassidy is playing Fast and Furious Supercars. He's terrible yeah, at it. What, what I mean, what what a fucking note of storytelling right there to give Orange Cassidy yes. a seat in his favorite machine of his favorite film franchise of all time. Yes, that uh, was once again fair, fair warning. Don't insult the Fast and Furious movies around Orange Cassidy. He will kill you. He we have will... seen recorded footage of that. Yep. You you want to make Orange go supernova? You all you got to do is insult insult the Fast and Furious movies, and uh, there you go. That that's the final straw for him. But uh, you know, one more match with Miro and Kip is what they said. Chuck loses. He's the he's the butler indefinitely for Miro. Um. Orange wants to put the giant video game cabinets around the ring and just, you know, have it be the plunder baby for the whole thing. And uh, I'm interested to see where this goes. I mean, it does tie back around to the beginning of the entire feud where, you know, best friends got thrown into the cabinet that uh, Miro bought for Kip and demolished it. And he just went bananas and beat the shit out of them. So... Mm -hmm. You know, again, good storytelling, clear, defined chapters. It actually makes sense. All right, I'm cool with it. I'm I'm willing to see what else happens with that. But the the story needs to needs to tie up after that, though. I I think because we have we have bigger plans, especially for Miro coming out of this. Yeah, I do think that this is going to be the finale for a couple things, and I do think that includes the. Miro and Kip partnership as well, because we saw a hint of it in Revolution with a certain set of events happening there. Now, again, this is just storyline related. In real life, though, slightly different story as Miro continues to prove why he is kind of a fucking unit as a human being on top of everything else. Miro truly is the best man. Indeed. So... Um, a, a sentient, uh, shitbag by the name of, uh, Jim Cornette. I, I fucking hate saying his name on this show, but, uh, so we'll keep it brief. Uh, kept running his mouth again, uh, calling Penelope some unfavorable things. Uh, just... Your your garden variety thing. Oh, she's she's slutty. She's a whore. Blah 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 blah. De- denigrating women, par for the course for Jim. 
uh, Miro was like, I will drive to your basement and unleash God's wrath on you, you absolute piece of shit. Answer me, you fucking Mark. And I was just like, whoa, Miro ain't fucking around. But then again, it makes all the sense in the world because how many times have fools like that said similar shit about his poor wife? Yeah, that's pretty... I think that's exactly where this is coming from at this point. It's just... Yeah. That added a bit of frustration on top of, hey, you know what, just... At this point, fuck off, Mm -hmm. pretty much is what he's saying. And again, I just love... And the fact is, it's not like he's saying this under, like, a paywall or any kind. He's tagging a man outright and saying, yeah, answer me. Yeah, do something. Fuck you gonna do. Yeah. Exactly. So... And of course, you know, Corny's pathetic fan base coming at him and and trying to say shit. It's just like, yeah, fucking try that with somebody else. You play, play the lotto. Don't play Miro. I, it, it won't end well. And then the best part was Kip burned him, and then Penelope fucking nuked him from space. Good. Lord. Oh my God. God bless him. The the line about needing, you know, having such a tiny dick that five blue chews wasn't going to get the job done. And that's why, <laughs> that's why he's got to have other people fuck his wife was just like, holy shit. Yeah. Between all of that. And it's just like, considering the accusations that have come out about speaking out in regards to him and his wife. Mm-hmm. maybe he should just keep his fucking mouth shut at this point, but we know that's not going to happen. So uh, I guess set- settling for him getting constantly ethered on social media of any kind is about the best thing we are probably going to get out of this, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, because you know that they were all jerking themselves off to dehydration over the dud uh, at the end of the pay-per-view. I know of they course. were because I saw it, and that was part of the reason I got so fucking pissed i was like god last thing they need um but yeah no uh if you, if you make a list of people i would not fuck with it within the business uh miro's very very high on that list mm-hmm. i i just i i wouldn't it does it's not smart <laughs> yeah so we go from there and that interlude to uh here comes the stinger to talk about the street fight and he doesn't get more than two words out and we get a very interesting interruption and it's from lance archer and i that's i wasn't necessarily expecting that so and there's history for those that uh those who've been watching for an embarrassingly long time like me between sting and one jake the snake roberts Mm-hmm. So, I'm wondering where this goes. Uh, honestly, Archer and Stinger is something I would be interested in seeing a little bit more of. And again, it's kind of nice that Archer, in a way, kind of fills in for some of the audience as well, who may have been getting a little bit tired of, oh, hey, Stinger's just coming out every week to talk when this could be used for something else. Kind of acting as like the... A sort of like voice of the audience in a way by doing that which also adds an extra bit of intrigue to it depending on where this goes because I do think that there is legs to this where it goes exactly I don't know yet 
but there's something brewing here now. There is. There's definitely something to it, and I I am intrigued. And it goes back to that old chestnut of listening to the audience. You know, people were getting a little tired of the the Sting interview segment every week or every other week. You know, right or wrong. And yeah, yeah. so again, it shows awareness. Awareness is good. And now we we have a pairing that I don't think anybody necessarily had on their bingo card, and uh, we will uh, we'll see where this goes. I'm willing to do that. Um, next match, boy, it got really weird here for this entire thing, and I, it was really unfortunate that it happened during Ethan Page's first match on Dynamite. Uh, he's going up against Lee Johnson, who has his hands full with uh, issues with his trainer QT Marshall who purposely eliminated them from the uh, Tag Team Battle Royal on the Sunday beforehand, but they're going to head out, and all of a sudden, we get the across audio from the NBA TV game, which uses Warner Media Production Services, for the Spurs versus the Mavericks, for like the entire match, through a and commercial is... break and back again. And keep in mind, from what I've heard as well from... Friends in Europe who were watching a true fight. This was only a TNT uh, television issue. The fight feed apparently had no problems of that kind whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's a shame, and it was it didn't take me very long to figure that out. Uh, somebody made a great point. They were playing a lot of songs that they didn't necessarily have rights for. Um, yeah, so... that's kind of like oh boy, that's I, some uh... DMCA related shit right there and then that people are gonna have to deal with here. If it becomes a bigger deal, because yeah, that's. I have a feeling that because it's Warner Media and they've hosted TNT, no. they've hosted but... NBA games on TNT for decades, that they'll yeah, probably they'll be out. okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was it was very strange. Uh, solid win for Ethan Page. Once you got through all that, I mean, yeah. Tony Khan, in full transparency, apologized immediately and said that after Dynamite, he was putting up the match with the corrected audio from the international feed, and good to his word, he did. Um, from there, we get uh, the aforementioned uh, segment with the Hangman showing off his new lawnmower. Dark Order all join on, and that thing like, almost tipped over regardless. Yep, they did. I mean, they were ready to go for ice cream. And again, uh, Hangman's expenditures, including uh, a a mighty mower of lawns at that was just sheer brilliance in my opinion because That's it's just story. still just poking outright fun at Matt his entire existence and it's great. <laughs> just Yeah. And 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 Matt falling into a depressive state and eating sour grapes. And, and of course and of course and of course Hangman too, Man of the People, don't donating uh, a ton of that money, a ton of those earnings as well to the charity. Because you know we, we we love ourselves a wholesome anxious cowboy. We we do. He he has truly become the the voice of the people for for the AEW fan base. So I and, and it leads to the idea that I feel that Kenny the belt collector, which we're we're getting some movement on. We'll get, we'll touch on at the end. I feel like that the one man that should eventually take him down should be Adam Page. Mm-hmm. So I. I hope Kenny has this run for quite a while for a storyline standpoint, because it's going to meet a whole hell of a lot when Adam Page finally gets that shot and beats him. 
Quite so, yeah. So, and I mean, it's going to depend. Uh, I mean, if it were my choice, I'd be talking like a, a Kobashi GHC kind of run. We're talking like perfect champion run. Right, but right, yeah. Is is the patience there to let him have that for two years? Who knows? I mean, they did they did it in New Japan with Okada, but uh, yeah, the the American the American audience is a funny beast. It truly is. So we are back from commercial. Tony Schiavone is there to welcome Christian Cage, who was the big surprise Hall of Fame level signing that uh, Paul White had spoken of and showed up on the pay-per-view. Um, interestingly enough, before his music can even hit, here comes the cleaner girls with the brooms, and here comes Kenny, Don Callis, and the Good Brothers. And I at home went, are they going to do Kenny versus Christian already? To which somebody responded with the pithy remark, well, Christian's not getting any younger. And I was like, well, when you're right, you're right. <laughs> But he's in incredible shape. I've never seen him in better shape than he is right now, which is wild. But... Uh, quick suggestion for anyone that's been kind of interested in hearing how this whole Christian Cage thing to AW came together. Uh, Rene Paquette's Oral Sessions uh, podcast with uh, with him being on it. Good 40 minutes just to explain sort of the background on how that all came together and some good old-fashioned Canadians talking to each other. It was fun. Go listen to that if you have the... 40 minutes of your time to do so and you're kind of curious so definitely yeah. recommend it renee's good people um i'm i'm pretty much gonna give a thumbs up to just about anything she does i'm, I'm excited to see the cookbook i've become a cook while in quarantine so uh keep an eye on that too so don Callis completely owning this and saying you know we're not going to hear from the new signee this is this is our time you know Kenny is the king of the death match, which was hilarious. Says it all went according to plan. And, uh, you know, that, and them just leaning into it as heels and being like, we took away what you wanted from the audience and we made fools out of all of you. I thought was an, a, a good extra layer to all of this. Because if you're going to hate Kenny Omega, you might as well give him a reason. I, uh, no, I... I enjoyed most of this, and he was like, I made both of you look like idiots. And uh, I, I, embarrassing John Moxley was even better than blowing him up. Um, and here comes Kingston. I was fucking stoked because he doesn't give a shit about being outnumbered. Callus <laughs> uh, going into their history at Impact was something I wasn't expecting them to do, but pretty cool nonetheless. Um, saying he's the bridesmaid, never the bride. Um, you know, I like you. I'm going to give you a chance to leave with your pride intact. And then they did the they did the uh, the siren and the countdown again. <laughs> and, and Kenny and Don go full fucking Keystone Cops with the Good Brothers running around in the background. Which, yeah, I, I get why they did it in the heel heat out of it. I just find it kind of weird to put a guy like Kenny Omega who has, whether people like it or not, sort of queer baited for a couple of years with the whole Golden Lovers thing and made his money off of that, kind of poking fun at 
a dude's actual anxiety issues and other mental health stuff. I don't know. That just kind of struck like a, wow, this is like, there's low, but this is kind of going like really low here. Some people are not going to take this the right way situation where like a little more decorum would have been preferred, but your mileage may vary depending on how you look at it. Uh, Callus dipping into the impact history was a nice touch though. I will say that. Him specifically just keeping it to the wrestling spectrum and saying, yeah, I've always figured that you were a screw-up. That's why we didn't push you when I had you in, under my employment. But because I like the work that you did for me, you can walk away right now without getting your ass beat if you do so, like, immediately kind of thing. Like, that note I was okay with. Just the Kenny stuff was, like, ugh, horny to me. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. Um and I, I think other people had mentioned that. I, I honestly, with everything that was going on, I I guess I totally missed him making light of his anxiety, which, yeah, not cool. So, Yeah, it just feels like something that, like, it's going to come back to bite him at some point or another if you're really digging in deep, if he gets into any sort of, like, major controversy down the line for saying something else or doing something else that just looks kind of off key. It's just, it's not a good look for him. And I think they should ideally, hopefully they know better going forward. Yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, I think that's a definitely a valid criticism as well. Um, from there, Omega offers Eddie Kingston a free shot. He must not know who the fuck he's dealing with <laughs> because, of course, Eddie Kingston took him up on that. Um, I'm, I'm just very surprised that Eddie showed restraint and just didn't pop him like on the spot. He actually let him finish before doing it. Right. Um, <laughs> here comes Moxley flying out. And, you know, he everybody's fighting. He uh, takes the Good Brothers out along with Kingston. They're off into the stands. And then, interestingly enough, here comes Christian Cage anyway, and Kenny goes face-to-face -face with him and talks like it's his ring, and says, tries to shake hands with Christian and be like, you know, you're, you're in my territory. Of course Christian doesn't shake. O Omega's pissed. He goes for a cheap shot and almost eats an unprettier until Callus pulls him out of the ring. And uh, then picks up the world title and looks at it, and everybody's going crazy. And then I was like, hmm, I'm of two minds on this. You know, do, do you weather the criticism and go straight to Christian Cage versus Kenny Omega? Um, or do you cultivate a landscape where you have multiple people chasing Kenny? Which is kind of what I would prefer that Moxley but and Moxley, Eddie Kingston, Christian Cage are they're all chasing Kenny. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this in particular. Christian Cage may have been off ring for the past seven years due to concussion issues and things like that, but at the same time, for a guy at forty seven, he has he doesn't have like the same amount of bumps that someone who would be wrestling regularly up to 47 has mm -hmm. in comparison. And the other thing as well, too, is that if you're going to give Kenny Omega this long reign where he gets a ton of defenses on his way until finally losing it, having a guy like Christian Cage who, and a company that canonically accepts the NWA lore, uh, you know, 
Christian Cage is an NWA world champion multiple time at that. Yes. Uh, there is a very easy play here and a guy who was not like an elite superstar player in the Fed, but a marquee player nonetheless during his time wrestling as a whole and a big player in uh, mid-2000s TNA as well. I do think that's a title defense that you can do with that as well and move Christian down the line to just working with the younger guys and putting them over. Like, I get people's frustrations with, oh, hey, it's an older guy getting a title shot. But at the same time, if you're going to elevate the present guys, yeah, a couple of these older guys are going to have to get a bit of a limelight here and there just to put the current talent over. That's sort of how this works. <laughs> right? Like, I know, I, I think, I know, unfortunately, the conditioning of one major company owning everything and pushing their older guys has this sort of myopic perspective of ah fuck the old guys are just here to tell all the new stars to move on over they're taking their spots and blah 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 but this can be done in the right way and again multiple threads uh you can still have eddie kingston chase you can have john moxley still chase you can have more people chase especially if a certain thing happening in april goes down the way that we think it's going to go down which end of show coverage on that one yeah, it's um, it is, and I I think because of the failure of other companies to build stars and keep falling back on the same guys as they got older and older, it has indeed. And I mean, you can even go as far back as the territories before that, uh, guys who continue to wrestle and be on top past their sell by dates. Uh, your your Vern Gagnes and your Crushers and Bruisers and Baron Von Raschkes and there, there's plenty of instances of that so i will say that i think you are correct because aw has shown by and large that they have been using these older names to supplement and augment the younger talent i mean look how sting has been used to elevate darby allen look at how jake roberts was used to bring uh, Lance Archer in in a big way and continue to keep him in the conversation. Look at what Tully Blanchard has done with uh, Sean Spears and FTR. Look at what Arn Anderson has done for the presentation of Cody Rhodes and for his trainees, uh, especially. So I think that the precedent is there and, you know, Christian has been seen on TV so much long view over the past 25 years that he is considered one of the old guys at this point. But I think it, yeah, I, I think that would be a great use of him. And that would, uh, that would definitely be a, a, a solid building block in the storytelling, man. I, I really hope that they do that. And I hope they do call on that history when yeah. that goes and, down. And, and to me in particular too, while I personally like I think we personally are on board for something like that being done too. I also do get certain people's complaints of, you know, another old guy kind of getting the spotlight, even if temporary as well, especially if more of what you're looking for in AEW is a full-fledged alternative, not just an alternative in certain segments, but then in others, it's, oh, they're trotting guys that were former WWE guys or former TNA guys and so on and so forth. So I get 
where some of the criticism can come from with that as well, especially if you're in that sort in that portion of the fandom that wants to see more POC representation. You want to see more women in AEW get featured as well, too. So there's valid criticisms to be made in decisions like that as well. It's just more so you've got to find that right balance. And ideally with AEW, hopefully they find that right balance for, I think, all aspects of the audience that they're trying to pull in sooner rather than later because... And I think if there was ever a sign that tells that the company still has a long way to go, it's when, uh, you know, you remember a couple of weeks back when they used the uh, NBA game as a lead-in into AEW outright, and NBA Twitter just fucking roasted Chris Jericho alive accordingly after seeing him in that opening segment. So it's kind of just like, yeah, you're doing a specific show that is enjoyable to a certain type of fan, but it doesn't seem like you're drawing in a whole ton of new people in either as of yet. So got to find that right balance. You got to find that right balance. But also that was, that was peak America. That was peak uh, major sports fans, body shaming and has been par for the course and, and fuck them for that too. Although there's an argument to be said, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy than Chris Jericho. (laughs) That's true. So yeah. Um, I'm again. I'm willing. I'm willing to wait and see. My interest is peaked. Uh, we then go into the best moment of the entire show, and that was the uh, the opening of the six man tag. Doctor Britt Baker, DMD, Nyla Rose, and Maki Ito versus Hikaru Shida, Ryo Mizunami, and Thunder Rosa. Uh, the last of the six to come out is Maki Ito. She's got her headset on. She is singing her heart out, even when the music stops, because the other five plus Rebel are fighting like crazy. But damn it, she's going to finish that song. (laughs) And it was so good. And then up comes Sheeta to finally get to her as the song is ending. And she's just like, I'm just going to thump her in the head with the microphone. (laughs) I mean, the mic thumps could have been ideally better. But then again, it's one of those circumstances where... Somebody like Maki Ito, which I think is also going to be a bit of culture shock for newer fans who see more of the Japanese Joshi wrestlers as super high talent, not that much charisma. Maki Ito is kind of on the opposite spectrum of that, where the wrestling is still very much a work in progress to where it's much more competent than it was when she initially debuted but that it factor and the personality are 100% there at this point, and it's what sort of separates her to the point where AEW is taking this sort of a shine on her to begin with, to give her something like this to sink her teeth into. So uh, your mileage may vary once again, but just consider that going forward with Maki telling that she is not your prototypical Joshi wrestler, where it's like, so many years of wrestling at this point at from a very young age, like a Riho type prodigy and that sort of stuff. So just something to keep in mind. I will forward. absolutely agree with that. Also, uh, just from again, performer hat on, she still had her sound system in her ears. I think she might not have been, she might've been trying to not blow her eardrums out. I think that's something that people have completely missed. <laughs> Which, again, I I guess that would make sense, but it also would feel weird as to, like, doing both the earpiece and the mic 
I guess that might make sense for like an aesthetic production so that people know it's like, oh, she's singing into the microphone. Okay, but then the earpiece on top of that is just like, all right then, so present complications like that. So just going forward, maybe put her in the position too where if she needs to do something like that with the mic, you know, just take your proper thumps with it, but not blow your ear out in the process of it kind of thing. Yeah. Because it was very much like the heels were entering first and then the baby faces were the ones that jumped them to begin with in that match. I'm cool. While Maliki just performed the rest of it. So it's just... I'm cool with that to to sell the animosity and to sell the hate, especially between yeah. Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. Good. Mm-hmm. I, I like... I like baby faces using their brains. What a fucking concept. Good times. <laughs> what a what a concept for blood feuds to have it where people are going to immediately try to tear each other apart. Rules be damned. What concepts. I was all about it. Um, you know, people have said, hey, this was in the 920 to 930 or 930 spot again. You know, it's it's starting to feel a little lazy. What are they doing here? It didn't go 10. It, it went just about 10 minutes. Um, but the post-match was definitely in service towards changing that, uh, because here comes the interference and a spike pile driver from, uh, Thunder Rosa, who finally gets one, um, I mean, gets a, gets a win back here and it is at Britt Baker's expense finally. So... Mm they go crazy with the aftermath and you know between Brit and rebel and vicky they beat the fucking shit out of her yeah very true and just what yeah and yeah it's one of those circumstances where again the thunder rosa brit breaker situation has been escalating for quite some time at this point and we finally, we eventually learn later in the show that, yeah, we finally get to settle this last, next week. And oh boy. Yeah, man, that's going to be good. Um, so we get the, uh, as we referred to earlier, Matt Hardy's eating sour grapes at the bar. <laughs> Lost all of his first quarter 2021 money, including that sweet, sweet action figure money. You know, the ones that are super no vacancy sold out. So that is not a small chunk of change. Uh, he says to private party, we need more money coming in. Therefore, I have hired a new team to supplement my income. And in comes Butcher, Blade, and Bunny. And now we know what has happened in the light of Eddie Kingston turning. And we have another new faction, one that is conceivably going to go uh, five on five with the Dark Order with the added... Uh, benefit of having Allie being able to wrestle. Well, I, I mean, it would have been Anna J, but I guess now it may be Maki Ito eventually. So that uh, there's, it's definitely interesting. And obviously, Private Party had the sensical reaction of going, "Why the fuck did you bring these guys in?" <laughs> True. So I, I like that like, they weren't they're, friends. They're in the t- they're, it's like it's one of those like they're in the tag team division, same as us. We faced each other before, so uh, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, just weird. But then yeah. again, a very Matt Hardy esque to just again go supplement and come and just blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think again. 
somebody who narratively has has done enough cool things that I'm across multiple companies i'm willing i'm willing to ride this ride with matt hardy let's see where it goes uh we get our in-ring main event next scorpio sky cashes in his sonic ring against darby allen for a tnt title shot uh this was like a fun sprint didn't overstay its welcome went just about 13 minutes from bell to bell um sky really looked like he had him especially with the shit kicking that darby took during the uh the street fight at the pay-per-view mm-hmm. but uh yeah darby uh darby with another roll-up darby using his his speed and uh cunning to get another flash pin and uh for yeah, scorpio and... sky going from green hill zone all the way over to casino night zone only to like fall short at the mark <laughs> excellent reference um, and then he decides to go full Dr. Wily after the bell. In goes the heel hook. Instant tap from Darby Allen. So now you've established Sky is a full-blown heel. He has a an immediate match ender against the champion. And, yeah, he even does the Bob Backlund looking at his hands. I was like, oh, we got a duck arse reference. <laughs> I was oh, super man. happy. I was thrilled. Good times. Good times. But yeah, so more intrigue there. Uh, we have another TNT title feud that should go on for a while. Let's go, Scorp. And we go to our final segment, and it is the Inner Circle War Council. Um, as I said to our pal John Pingle on Twitter, if this is the last segment, Jericho's getting bounced. Little did I know what was actually going to happen here. I got to give him credit right off the top. Uh, it was not what I was expecting, but I mean that in, in a really good way. <laughs> I think to me, I get the end game that needed to happen and why it happened the way that it did. It's just one of those circumstances where it just felt like one too many M. Night Shalahom-esque twists over the course of that segment where it's like, we get it, one of you's turning on the other at this point, get to it already. Well, it's been it's been spy versus spy between them the entire time, really. So I I very much liked Sammy Guevara showing back up after you know being gone for a while, the hidden camera, and you know the expected MJF was going to try to turn everybody. What I didn't expect, and I'll and I want to give them credit for, is I thought that Jericho was getting bounced. I thought that the rest of them were going to unite against him. He would have maybe Sammy as backup, but that was it. So when they all turned and were looking to do a five-on-one beatdown on Max to back him up, only to say he's had his he had his own group, and then for that group to be essentially the rumored four horsemen deal with where the lights went out, they came back on, it's Wardlow, FTR, Tully Blanchard, and Sean Spears. I was like, oh shit, I didn't see that coming. That, that's pretty cool. And well, it did explain at least where Wardlow was, because that was one of the things I noticed at the very beginning of the second. I'm like, where the fuck is Wardlow? And they had very subtly set that up upon reflection, saying that he had business, he had business to attend to, or he had the night off, or he had a family issue, or stuff like that. They had set that up, which I thought, looking back, that's pretty smart 
that's th- that's the little touches I like. Um, and then the the slow build to Sean Spears being, you know, teaming with FTR and the reveal um, before the pay per view during the match with Tully and and uh, Dax and Cash against uh, Jurassic Express. There we go. Um, so yeah. that was really interesting and. The red herring of you thought that Arn might align with them, or maybe Cody would at some point, but it's MJF. Uh, and they they kicked the fucking shit out of every single Inner Circle member and then some. And they, they saved the worst stuff for Jericho. Uh, MJF not really getting his hands dirty until the very end, and even then just getting a few shots and letting everybody else do a lot of the work, I thought was a very was very in character and very consistent. Yes. But if you're not going to end with a match, that's a hell of a way to end the episode. Well, at the very least, it finally ends the whole debacle of what happens to the inner circle at this point. I do think that while this is very much building towards something down the line between this new team that just got formed and the guys that got basically the absolute crap kicked out of them, I do think that eventually it is spelling the beginning of the end for the inner circle faction as a whole at this point, which to me, I'm fine with. I think Guevara and the proud and powerful guys in Santana and Ortiz would benefit better from just going off on their own at this point as newly turned baby faces. Uh, Because to me specifically, I just, I cannot buy Chris Jericho and Jake Hager as baby faces in any sort of program at this point. And this is even without all of the out of, even without the, you know, even without all of the off camera related stuff. I just think in camera, it's just these two have been utter dipshits to everyone and everything around them. So, like, I don't buy them as plucky baby faces. I just buy them as shitbags who got egg on their face and want revenge for it, kind of thing. And I just don't feel like that sort of vibe on a unit against another unit that just committed shitbag heel things to them is really going to click all that well. It's a great point, and it was something I found myself wondering as we uh, as we went along. So, again, the follow-up is going to be what's important. Uh, Jim Crockett Promotions did a great job of having people that you know didn't necessarily change you don't want to necessarily root for go after one another it certainly happened with the midnight express and the four horsemen at one point very memorably mm-hmm. so who who knows tony khan knows his history you know as much as much as people want to put him down and give him shit he uh he, he's shown an aptitude for this so I'm willing to see where this goes. You you put over this new group incredibly strong. I'm very interested to see what their name is. Uh, of course, the internet having a field day and being the internet had millions of different suggestions, serious, silly, and somewhere in between. But uh, that was hell of an image to, to go out on with Wardlow just herking up, you know, uh, Late career Jericho is is a true heavyweight, and he just threw him around like he was nothing. 
again, I, I do think this is just another eventual step in the Wardlow eventually being the breakout guy who just becomes big, meaty hoss who just tosses people around, wins world titles, and just does large man things, which I want to see out of him one day. I am 1,000% behind that idea, and the longer you can build to that breakaway from MJF, the better that is going to be, the bigger that pop is going to be, the more insane that program is going to be. Mm -hmm. So this, this is a great way to extend that. I'm I'm very much in favor of of it being in service to that eventual end game as well. So th- this this serves a lot of good things. Plus, give me FTR versus Proud and Powerful like as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Holy yeah, shit. that should be one of the best things coming out of that program for sure. Fuck yeah, that's gonna be great. Um, I think MJF versus Sammy is gonna be real good too. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think specifically for me, like Guevara and Proud and Powerful alone going at these guys would still work for me because at the very least they'd be working against the great top guys within that unit, Wardlow serving as the heavy, and Sean Spears is just Sean Spears. He's just there for window decoration until his contract expires at this point. Yeah, and you, you never know. I mean, I there there could definitely be something in there for him. It's just, it it depends. They've been keeping him strongish in the background, the entire time. He'd been gone for a while. We'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I know a lot of people are down on him. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that all the way. Um, I mean, I can see their point, but uh, it's we we definitely set the table with this episode. We we fixed the the one glaring issue with the pay per view. We, you paid off a big storyline and started a new chapter. You just turned Scorpio Sky and made it so he's going to stay a big singles player for a while. Penta had, is you know now in a huge breakout feud as a single guy with Cody. Um, the St. Patrick's Day episode essentially is like a triple main event, you know, with the mm-hmm. actual main event being the Lights Out match, which is only the third in the history of the company if i'm not mistaken and it's between thunder rosa and Britt baker and i'm like fuck yeah let's go that's a match that 100 deserves that sort of a stipulation and it's very cool of them to make it sort of like the built-in main event even though technically a lights out match is considered you know shows over go home but if you want to stay and watch this thing that we're in no way shape or form liable for here it is kind of thing i love that they brought back the lights out match and have made it a be all end all thing in AEW. I think it's great storytelling. It's a really cool old school thing. Uh, it was it was done the best in in Mid South in UWF by Bill Watts. Um, with when you had guys like uh, the Junkyard Dog and Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Butch Reed and things like that. that was that was the place that really popularized that. The, the lights out match as a concept, as a crazy, like anything goes, you're going to see some shit if you stick around, but if you're faint of heart, go ahead and hit the door. I love it. And I love that this is only the third one so far in the history of the company. This is going to be a huge showcase. Give them like 20, 30 minutes. Let them just go absolutely fucking bananas. Um, we all know that Thunder Rosa can do that. Britt Baker has 
evolved into somebody who I think can do that too. I think this is going to be a really big deal. I'm very excited for it. It uh, it is a response to you know folks who have criticized fairly that there hasn't been enough spotlight on the women's division. I feel like it's been trending upward. What with the title eliminator tournament, the women's title match at the pay per view, bringing in Maki Ito on a regular basis, and now we have the main event. I can I hope that that trend continues to go upward. We also have Jade Cargill returning to action after you know her uh, part in the tag match with Shaq from a, before the pay per view. And on that talk same about show. It like if, and talk about if they played her cards right with her and she continues to perform at like the level that we saw in just the short minutes we did, that's a start of the making for them in that women's division outright because holy shit. Totally. Jade, Jade impressed the absolute fuck out of me. Like I want to see more of that, more of her going forward for yep. 100%. Yep. She's, she's a breakout star already, which is insane. Absolutely insane. Um, Big fan. So yeah, and so we we've already we've already got at least two women's segments on the on the St. Patrick's Day show. You have Mox and Kingston teaming up for the first time in God knows when against the Good Brothers who just lost their Impact World Tag Team titles to Finn Juice on the pay-per-view. I really like that match. Go seek it out. Well-told story. Um so that'll definitely play into the narrative of that. And, yeah, I just think this is going to be... And you have the first Cody versus Penta match. I think they did a great job coming out of the pay-per-view. They built a really strong follow-up show off of that, and they've addressed more fan concerns with the product as a whole. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, too, the uh, we know we touched briefly on, you know, Paul White now being with the company, and the other big portion of that is that him and Tony Schiavone are going to be calling a new... YouTube show on Mondays and Maki Ito versus Riho is going to be the main event of that show. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday the 14th. Monday the 15th is when that will be premiering. So if you're listening to this, you know, whenever, you know, it's going to be on YouTube at that point. So you can feel free to check that out if you didn't already. So and warning there. A fucking great use of, of both of those talents and building off of a history in Tokyo, Joshi Pro great way to start that new show um very excited i'm i'm kind of morbidly curious to see what paul white's uh research levels have been on on joshi and uh how up he is on that after a guy that pretty much started his career as a main event guy in wcw and went straight into being a main event guy in wwe he never he's never really been outside that bubble before so um but he's he's a charismatic dude. He's entertaining, um, and he can talk. So I'm uh, I'm willing to give it a shot, especially since he's known Shivani forever. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how it goes as well, too, for sure. So things to be on the lookout for. But hey, this is like two giant episodes of wrestling worth about what six hours or so condensed into what two hours of talking. So. For yeah, us, we did that's it. downright we grief. <laughs> yeah, we figured this out. We did indeed. Um, so I would say my biggest, my biggest thing to take away from this, dear listeners, is, you know, sometimes you gotta wait for the follow up. 
and I, I think that definitely carried through in this. And I was more willing to give the benefit of a doubt here than I do to other products because I felt that they earned that. And your mileage may vary on that, but uh, my my ultimate takeaway, gatekeeping bad, patience good. But at the same time, having more flashbacks of times that you may have at one point in your wrestling fandom have had that patience and then have it betrayed too, we get that as well. But the gatekeeping portion is just, at this point, if you could just make yourself look more stupid than anything... It's it's worn out by doing that. It's it's worn out, and it, it it was disappointing to see that from some people about about deathmatch wrestling because I was like, you guys all hate Jim Cornette. You're kind of sounding like Jim Cornette right now. I know you don't want that. So it's like, come on, everybody, let's let's not let's let's just not. Um, I'm I'm very excited for the things that are coming up. Uh, that being said, I will not be venturing out for live wrestling anytime soon still. Um, our eligibility for the vaccine is just about here out in Los Angeles. I encourage everybody to please listen to scientists and go get your vaccine. Uh, as somebody who has gotten the flu shot every year for the past several years, uh, just drink plenty of clear liquids uh, you know, massage the uh, the area where you're getting the shot before and after. Get plenty of rest. Uh, it will minimize or completely eliminate side effects. That does seem to be the case with this as well. Science is our friend. Um, I want everybody to do this because I would like to be able to see all your smiling faces at a uh, wrestling event once more. However, I feel like Tampa's going to be a little bit too soon for my liking. Yeah, mm-hmm. just just a little bit uh, too soon, unfortunately, in that regard. And I'm here to kind of second that, but more so as someone who does, no, donates plasma on a semi-often basis, the liquids and actually like eating your proteins and stuff like that just goes a long way in terms of preventing a lot of these side effects when it comes to stuff like that. So just keep that in mind. Be safe about it. If you need to, you know, put yourself in a circumstance where you know side effects are going to be a thing, you know, just put yourself in a position where you are able to get rest, which is the most important part out of it. So things to keep in mind. But ideally, we're at the tail end of this whole thing that spun out of control a year ago at this point. And ideally, we get back not to the normal that we knew before because that's long long and gone at this point we just sort of established a new normal a better normal maybe a normal where we normalize actually being able to wear masks when we're super sick but still need to go out in public because you know capitalism is fucking bullshit like that'd be great percent um i will say that i've discussed this with you off air before but when i would find myself getting on planes for gigs or getting on you know coach buses or things like that i was already wearing the masks i was already doing that stuff because i found if i did a lot of flying and i didn't do that i was going to end up getting sick and that was absolutely not something that i wanted to continue to go through and wouldn't you know it when i started wearing a mask that shit started going away so it's almost like science works 
<laughs> and it's something that other countries have done for quite some time now too so it's just like okay let's just adopt that into practice it's not that terrible of a perspective and it's more of a thing like for everybody who gets on their soapbox about snowflakes liberals blah 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 you, you know the drill at this point you're basically by doing all of this and telling me about don't wear masks and stuff like that i'm like i come from a world where i've been to a lot of conventions of you know the super nerdy kind and i've seen the furry community i and i've seen the people that are within that community that wear these costumes of theirs for hours upon hours and they don't bitch about it and they go along with their daily business so by complaining about a minute thing like a tiny little mask around your mouth and nose you're basically telling me that you are weak and ineffective compared to a lot of communities out there and it's just it's a bad look for you at this point is what i'm trying to tell you more than anything i agree i absolutely agree like honestly it's you you sound like a bratty child a bratty uneducated child when you bitch about the mask and you show a level of selfishness that quite frankly neither of us want to associate with so uh get with the fucking program if you can maybe we can hasten the end of this shit now <laughs> that being said um changes we talked about it a little bit uh I have been recording less in the course of the pandemic, and this is the first time in a long time I have talked about wrestling. I have touched on that briefly uh, at other times, and a lot of that has had to do with navigating this hellscape over the last 365 days and change. Uh, it also has to do with the fact that I definitely took an extended break from regular uh, watching of pro wrestling uh, in the light of speaking out. Um, you know, I was, I was really discouraged. I was wondering if I should just walk away from this entirely, but I took an extended break and I took, um, I talked about other things that interest me. Um, I am not <laughs> just a machine that you push a button and wrestling facts pop out. So uh, who knows how much longer uh, Captain Jack's Armbar Emporium will go. I certainly don't. Uh, it'll be one of those things where at least for the time being in the current status we are, when I have something to say, you will definitely see an episode pop up in your feed. I thank you for that. Uh, so just stick with me, and when I know more about where we're heading, you will know right away too. Stay tuned. I do have some ideas still in the chamber left. I ain't done yet. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and let them know where they can follow you on social media, Chris. Oh, uh, simple enough for me. You can go uh, to at Brazilian Fury on Twitter and Instagram. That's Brazilian with an S instead of a Z. My other podcast, uh, Soundtracks on the Sticks, which has been on a bit of a hiatus because pandemic-related stuff, but we're hoping to come back with another episode soon. That's on Twitter as well, at Sounds on Sticks. And you can also follow the blog for my other podcast, my main podcast basically at this point, Strong South Story. That's Strong South Story at Tumblr.com. 
You can follow Jeff at the Strong Style Story without the E in sto- uh, style. Excuse me, without the E in style because Twitter character limits over on Twitter where he posts the updated blogs and then he's also a good follow for pro wrestling stuff as well. And for if you are like Jack and I, just uh, sick and tired of fucking fascists and the like. Agreed. Um, as I uh, alluded to earlier and quite often, you can follow my adventures uh, on Twitter at Jack Heartless. You can follow me on Instagram at Captain Jack Heartless. Uh, we've had a non-wrestling project there developing, uh, which is a episode-by-episode breakdown of the first five years of Saturday Night Live, specifically the original cast, often considered the Beatles a comedy. From 75 to 80, uh, at the time of this recording, we're somewhere in the middle of season two. We just had the return of Paul Simon and the appearance of our first Beatle, George Harrison. Uh, And this happening right after Chevy Chase left the cast. So we've got plenty to go there. That's been a lot of fun. Uh, I have season by season uh, video breakdown highlights on that Instagram page at Captain Jack Heartless. And then, of course, all the garden variety stuff about wrestling and whatever else pops into my brain. But until next time, whenever that may be, for Chris Damasino, this is Captain Jack Heartless saying thank you very much and keep sailing. It's important to practice good hygiene At least if you wanna run with my team I'm about to get into some shit that I've seen This fool's breath on me so that'll melt your ice cream They say don't say nothing if you can't say nice things Sitting too close to him on board like my ice sting I tried to be subtle, hand him a stick of gum I was a victim of breath on him Running his yap about what set he from Gotta get some gum, gotta get him some He turned it down, his teeth was brown Excruciating boring, it was a new sensation I had to ask the dope to pass the soap Cause this cone had to slip the crustaceans Or bathrooms in the bus station He had a can of O.E. and some raisins Amazing Head to Tobio, he didn't know Used to the fragrance Cause as the days went without bathing He felt manly and not like a maiden He had one dread and fungus Said he worked on people's toilets with plungers Girls, not the guy you were worth the tongue, yeah So guys, take your cue from this little number You gotta wash your... If you must, you gotta wash your hair. If you must, you gotta wash your teeth. If you must, or else you'll be fine.